1: Let's dive into part three of today's show, Sean. And that is going to be, I guess, tonight's show. That is going to be the top five coordinators in college football. Big shout out to my guy, Jason Smith, who's been with us all the time on the boards. I have not seen Jason tonight, but I'm I'm sure he'll listen to this on the replay if he's not with us tonight. But he asked this question in the mailbag the other day, Sean, and it was, who are the top five coordinator duos in college football? And I said, man, that is a great RTCF topic for Sean and I to get into, because I knew you'd be a little salty with me if I had that conversation in a solo show. Like, man, come on, man. You couldn't have waited for the weekend to do the show with me? Seriously?
2: Am I wrong, Sean? You're not wrong at all. You probably would have gotten a call that night. Like, hey, (laughs) what was that? That's what we're doing now? (laughs) This is a fun conversation, especially,
1: Sean, because I think there's a Notre Dame duo that's in it. Yeah. Obviously. And, And but but uh, there's been so much coordinator movement this off season as well. And, and who my top five are right now and who are the top contenders are would, some of them would not have been there two months ago, a month ago. So we're, we're going to get in there now, Sean, and and you and I have not discussed this list yet. No. So I'm going to give my five and then Mm -hmm. I'm going to give your five or I want you to give your five and then we'll discuss the list. Okay. Mine's, I, I have not actually done a, this is my definitive one, two, three, four, five. It's just my five. Five, okay. Just so we're clear. So, so when I give the list, it's not saying this is my one, this is my two. I mm-hmm. haven't done that yet, but here's my five. And I know one of them for sure. The board is going to go nuts. The chat's going to go nuts. They're going to strongly disagree with me. You might as well. Here's my five. Notre Dame, Ohio State, mm-hmm. Florida State.
2: I had Notre Dame, Ohio State, Florida State, Louisville. Okay. I had Louisville. And then, man, look, I really wanted to include Oregon, but I gave – because I feel like Sark is the play caller. At Texas, yeah. And I think Kukowski has done a a pretty decent job. Yeah. They've had a top 12 efficiency defense the last two years. And I would have – if all of the changes, well, I also thought about Georgia, because to me, Mike Bobo, I thought he did a nice job. Because everybody was worried about the offense. He really wasn't as successful the first time as offensive coordinator. Yo, know, could he follow up with Todd Munkin did at Georgia, winning back-to-back championships? The Georgia offense with Carson Beck as a first time starter was actually, I mean, they, they actually played better once Brock Bowers got hurt. Yeah, which I thought was a big feather yeah. in my Bobo's cap. Did you say season. who your five was? Is it both? Is Georgia who you're going with? Is that who no, you're no, no, going no, 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 no. I said, you're not there I, yet? No, no, I said, uh, Notre Dame, Ohio State, uh, Texas, Louisville, Louisville and Louisville, okay, Florida State, Louisville. Okay.
1: Yes. So the two we have different are Texas and Louisville. The Texas one, Sean, um, they're my next in line. Mm -hmm. The only reason I don't have them there yet is because I need to see their offense repeat what they did a year ago. Like that, that's, that's kind of my big thing. Actually, their defense has been more consistent the last two years. Mm -hmm. And not a lot of people talk about their defense this year with Pete Kwiatkowski was a sub 19 point per game defense in the big 12 is a down year in the big 12. I kind of want to see how they do in the sec you know, that that's going to be an interesting one, but I am not going to push back on Texas. Let's first talk about the ones we have in common, Sean. So let's start with Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. I think this is a no-brainer. I went back and looked at the FEI, uh, the Fermo Efficiency Index, and Notre Dame, to me, has the – the not to me. Notre Dame, according to Brian Fermo, who I think does very good work on the FEI, it's an efficiency index. So it takes the you know, schedule and, and all those type of things. They have the, the the offensive coordinator that that was uh, ran the number two offense in the country last year in efficiency, and they have the D coordinator that ran the number six offense in the country last year. When you look at the uh, like Georgia was three and eleven, Texas was seventeen and seven, uh, and then USC actually, interesting is seven and nine. I'll get into them in a little bit, but Florida State was twenty nine and ten. Now, Florida State's a bit of an asterisk for me because their number in the FEI plummeted in the last three weeks of the season. Once Jordan Travis got hurt, like they plummeted. They were closer to top ten prior to that. Mm -hmm. Florida State is the one I have that I think is the most debatable for me. Utah also is debatable because of how this past season. But Mm -hmm. if you look at how good they were in years prior, they were they they just had one of those really weird ravaged by injury injuries at the quarterback they were 11 and 7 on offense and defense each of the last two years yeah with you know what i mean and even on defense issue all the injuries they were still 14th in efficiency Mm -hmm. so to me i had utah there so but notre dame number one two top 10 offense and defense coordinators ohio state is interesting because the defense last year was number two Chip Kelly's offense last year at, at, at UCLA was only 61st. But I, I, I got to tell you, Sean, I was actually very impressed by what Chip Kelly was able to do offense offensively this year when you consider the talent they had <laughs> and when you consider the fact that they just could not find a quarterback. They were 11th no. the year prior with, you know, the Dorian Thompson Robinson, Robinson Thompson kid who I think is just an okay quarterback to yeah. be completely honest with you. You give him the weapons they're going to have at Ohio State. They're there. The only the only cat, concern I have, Sean, and I'm curious what you think about this, the only concern I have is, is how is Chip going to handle not being the head coach? But this is different than like Dino Babers going to Arizona, where Dino hasn't actually run the offense at Syracuse in a long time. Even though Chip was the head coach, he was still the play caller, I believe, at UCLA. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious how that transition is going to go. But honestly, at the end of the day, I, I don't think it's going to be an issue. Uh, yeah. I, I think Ohio state's in the conversation for, I think Ohio state, and Notre Dame, if you just look at the numbers, have the two best resumes resumes. Yeah. Of the groups in here where there's just a track record of, of, of big time success. Guys,
2: yeah, that they've done it. They've done it. It's yeah. proven. I, I agree with that. Like they were the no brainers for me just off the bat. Yeah. And chip, the chip Kelly making the move. I think, is going to take away something that's been missing from all I have state. And that is a lack Ryan, of softness. Right. It's not even, I mean, it plays into softness. <laughs> but, Ryan, dude, Ryan Day is just so, so he, we talked about this, right? Great offensive minds. And I remember I texted you this week and I said, yo, what is it about Spags that he can like paint this illusion? To, to great play callers don't run the ball like you can't run the ball with like with nickel like he he somehow gets great play callers to go away from what they have on the field that could be effective and in my opinion that is something that i think al golden does well yeah I think Al Golden does the same thing, right? Masterful at baiting people. Masterful strength. at baiting people and getting them to play outside of their strength. And so when you talk about these top two, what Chip Kelly is going to bring is that. You could lure Ryan Day out of doing something that would help him win the game. Chip Kelly, he loves the run. He loves the run. I don't think – as long as this offensive line can get the job done, Chip Kelly's going to run the ball. Yeah. Like, don't he – it's going to be a challenge for Michigan because they're facing a totally different play caller. Because I think Michigan had gotten very comfortable with Ryan Day.
1: Well, and they just knew that when it first comes to shove, we can Mm -hmm. punch them in the mouth on offense, and there's not a lot they're going to do about it. Mm -hmm. They're just – we're going to out-scheme them because Mm -hmm. we – they baited Ohio State into so many throws in the second half. They could show things to kind of get them. They know the checks that Ohio State makes to get out of the run game. Mm-hmm. And they could they could basically just line up and force Ohio State to throw the football. And they knew if we line up like this, we know we're going to force them into a throw game. Mm-hmm. Jim Kelly will say, No, I'm gonna check to a different run. I'm gonna out leverage you and we're gonna get out the gate because we're gonna pin and pull you in and we're gonna get outside and, and run it out. So you know what I mean? Like, or we're just gonna quickly gap you upside. You're you wanna bring that heavy outside pressure on on third and seven. That's fine. I'll go empty and do a bam and just gash you right at the middle. And and it's a it's a mentality that we talk about. And, and you and I were talking a lot the other day about culture and what that means in football. It's a mentality aspect, right? It's, it's who you are, what defines you, what's your DNA cultures, your DNA. And, and um, like, it's it's not even like societal culture where that is more of a learned experience, culture and football. It, it, it's like, it's who you are as a football team. It, it, it's, it's every, it's, it's your, it's your heart. It's the blood running through your, your, you know, your proverbial body, right? It, it's, it's all that type of stuff.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And, chip is just, it's about toughness it was like that at oregon it's like that at ucla and and ohio state has been grossly missing that and if you look at the teams in ohio state that won titles i mean how, why did they win a title in 2014 because when they when they got in trouble against alabama they just said we're just gonna run it down their throat and just and we're just gonna out physical them and then ezekiel Elliott went off in the second I remember, people forget like bama was up like what 17 to 3 20 to 3 and we're on the verge of scoring and then blake's blake um Ah, uh, Blake Sims, I think threw a pick, and then after that, it was like Ohio State was like, "You, gave us, you gave us the in. and they just out physicaled them the rest of the way. The Rest of the way, and the further away that Ryan Day has gotten from Urban Meyer, the softer his offense has become. And I'm gonna mm-hmm. tell you right now, if he didn't make the decision to hire Jim Knowles a year ago, the Ohio State would have lost four or five games this year. Oh, absolutely, beat Ohio State by two touchdowns if they would have had the previous coaching staff mm-hmm. before Jim Knowles. I'm telling you that right now. That was a great hire. He did a great job. And he and he got that defense going faster even than I expected it to. Yeah. And my I thought because in the just track record, year three was the big jump year for him at past places. But Ohio State had better players. Mm-hmm. But then it's similar to Notre Dame, right? I mean, that year two jump because Al Golden runs a complex defense, that year two jump was huge. You're gonna have a lot of guys coming back, and then obviously with Mike Denbrock, it's that proven track record. Of winning in different ways. And I would actually argue that Mike Denbrock has won in more different ways than Chip Kelly has. When Chip Chip Kelly's won at Oregon, and you said it it looked exactly like this. You know, the run schemes were different because Zach Charbonnet compared to, you know, Lamarcus Joyner is a different type of back, but it was still tempo running the football for a million yards and all that kind of stuff. Mike Denbrock's run with a completely different type of different looking offenses during his tenure. And so I, I think those are no-brainers. Florida State was the other one that you and I had in common as well, correct? Right, yep. I think Alex Atkins has done a really nice job. He's going to his third year running the offense. I think what helps them is he does have the Mike Norvell influence. It's it, you know, Norvell, from what I understand, lets the offensive coaches coach, but he's still involved in, in, mm-hmm. a, in a healthy way because he's a good offensive mind. Adam Fuller did a really nice job that defense last year. He did, and now we'll see if they can continue. But I, I like the portal additions Florida State had this off season. I, I think people are sleeping on Florida State as a as a top ten team again this year. And I understand, you know, DJ Uyunglele, and they lost this guy and that. I understand all that, but but they're they're going to be a good football team again this year. They will, and I and a big part of my confidence comes from. I have a lot of confidence in what they do schematically. And to me, just the Georgia game should be out of sight, out of mind for people because like they literally played their backup team. The number two offense and defense for Florida State played in the bowl game. Uh, there's no other way to say it than that, Sean.
2: I mean, and I dude, I, I feel so bad because they came out with a lot of heart early. They came out with a lot of heart. And then all of a sudden it was like they realized like, yeah. It's almost like you come out and you have all this speed, and you're punching, and you're out punching your opponent. They're just taking all your punches, and the next thing you know, it's like it's like Drago, right? Like, right. Okay. Yeah, that's it against Apollo Creed, right? And then right. all of a sudden, things start to turn. Yeah, you know, and that's that's that's
3: that's well, what I, we
1: watched. Yeah, when we were kids, right? You, you're playing Mike Tyson's Punch Out, and you'd hit Mike Tyson 50 times. Then phase him and then boom uppercut lights out little max done i mean that's pretty much what it was right right
2: one of your punches
1: takes away this much of
2: his his his
1: time to restart it you know go through it again yeah i mean they they did a really nice job last year let's talk so louisville to me here's why here's here here, well i'll let you state your case for louisville first Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and then i'll because louisville's on my my next my if you look at the list i say they're on my team's to consider list Yeah. But there's a reason I didn't put them. And now, when we talk about Louisville, we're including Jeff Brom. Oh, absolutely. And Brian Brom because Jeff Brom, I believe, is still the play caller. Mm-hmm. So, so just so we're and we're including that. So let's let's go with Louisville. Actually, no, Texas was your number four. Louisville's your number four. Who's your number four? Or do you even have a four? Is it? No, just, I didn't do four. Like, I just like did eight. five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go Louisville since that's a team that Notre Dame plays. Yeah, I. What, tre- what's your case for Louisville?
2: Tremendous amount of respect for Jeff Brom. Tremendous mm-hmm. amount of respect as a play caller and the way he schemes things up. And I think Ron English did an incredible job with that defense because they got a lot of transfers in, a lot of one-year players, and he was able to pull them together. And if you look at them, until they got some key injuries, in the secondary, late in the season, their defense was really solid. Mm -hmm. Teams were able to get at them in the passing game and a little bit off of that passing game, running the ball, later in the season i think the kentucky game was a perfect example of that right kentucky was able to take advantage of them in the passing game and devin leary didn't exactly have the greatest season through the air at kentucky but in that last game they were really able to be balanced and run the ball with davis not as as efficiently as they had done but run him enough and then make big plays in the passing game, and it was just too many injuries in the secondary. And he, Ron English likes to be aggressive. He wants to be aggressive. He wasn't able to be as aggressive because of that late. And I, I, I really came to kind of appreciate the combination. Like, you know what? Ron English might not be on the same level as Brom, but he's getting there. And I feel like if he had, like, Notre Dame talent, or he had the level of talent that Georgia has, I think, where he could be aggressive. Al Golden knows he can be aggressive because he has this back end. Right? But if Benjamin Morrison got hurt, would Al Golden be as aggressive as he likes to be? He probably would, because then he would have Jaden Mickey and still Christian Gray. But that's what I'm talking about. Louisville didn't have that same depth in the secondary to whereas right. when they lost the guy. They right. can keep doing that. So I just have respect. I, I, I really like what I saw from English this year, and I have – man, you know the respect I have for Jeff Brown, going back to his days at Purdue. And, and
1: you know that you and I are on the same boat there. Yeah. And I was yeah. calling for him to be the head coach of Notre Dame back in when he was still at Western Kentucky.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you
1: know what I mean? Here's my thing with Ron English. Number one is I need to see him do it again.
3: Mm-hmm. That's
1: my issue, right? So, like, when we're talking about other coaches on this list – Morgan Scally has had a really good defense for three, four, five years in a row. You know, now Andy Ludwig's not Jeff Brom, but he, he's a lot closer than, than the other conversation because Ron English's defenses at Purdue tried hard, but they were not good. And and you know, I, I I never loved his defenses in Michigan, to be honest with you. The 06 and 07 defenses in Michigan always kind of felt struggled in some of the bigger games. You know, but you, you can't really hold that against him. It really just comes down to he was a D coordinator for two years at Purdue. Prior to that, he hadn't been a D coordinator since he was at Louisville in 08. You know what I mean? So it's like for me, I just if if we're having this conversation in a year, it won't shock me if we're both have them on there, especially with the, you know, getting Tyler Barron, the two safeties from Louisville, like they've upgraded their roster, but I need to see him do it for a second year in a row to be good before I can go there. And I also think that, that yes, they had some some bad results early, but I also thought that they had some pretty rough results early. I mean, late, but they had some rough results early as well. I mean, Georgia Tech moved the ball up down the field on them in the opener. Indiana threw the ball pretty well on them. Boston College moved the ball really well on them early. They kind of got hot in the middle of the year from like NC State to Duke and then to or Virginia Tech, then to your point, they faltered late because of uh, some of the injuries, but like even the Kentucky game, Sean, like they only gave up 289 y- total yards They gave up 6.2 yards per play. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't really give them a ton of credit for the Florida state game because Florida state was a banged up offense. It's, it's hard to really, neither team was a hundred percent going into and that, that championship game. game yeah. Neither yeah. team was a hundred percent. And then again, I don't care about the bowl game. They had half their team didn't play in that game. I don't really care about that. So it just, it was a little too inconsistent in year one for me, on defense for Louisville to put them in the top five. they If he can build on that and kind of have a, a repeat year next year, th- they, mm-hmm. they could be there. And that's kind of where I'm at with Oregon, Sean, because, number one, Will Stein's offense was phenomenal this year. Yeah. And he was a really good play caller at UTSA. So, I mean, they had the number one efficiency offense in college football this year. I mean, so he took an offense that was really good under Kenny Dillingham and made it even better. Yeah, and I, I love what he does schematically and tempo wise and run game wise. I, I just I love what he does. His offense was less quarterback run dependent than, compared to what Kenny Dillingham's was the year before with Bo Nix, which I liked, which I, it kind of needed the year before, you know, because they had lost the one kid who transferred to USC and I mean and all that type of stuff. But uh, what what I like is I the reason Oregon's on mine is cuz I give him an asterisk because even though I don't think Dan Lanning is the play caller, mm-hmm. I think Dan Lanning is heavily and I talked with a couple with somebody I know that covers Oregon just to confirm this, he's very heavily involved in the defense. And so that's why I put them on there cuz what what a lot of people forget is Oregon was pretty good on defense this year. I mean, they were the number 13 efficiency defense this year. They were number 15 a year ago. And and so they've actually done a pretty good job of building up that defense at Oregon, and they inherited a situation, Sean. In my opinion, under Mario Cristobal, that was the that was the Achilles heel for that football team under Mario Cristobal was they yeah. couldn't play defense against yeah. a, a, against good teams. They've been a top fifteen defense the last two years with Tosh and and, and, and him. So I, I and I also think they're going into a league that has far less impact offenses than what they had in the Pac oh, twelve. Yeah. So I mean
2: but this is what this is this is where it gets interesting. What we did see is that when they got to Washington didn't beat them three consecutive times in two years because mm-hmm. of the passing game, they beat them because of Dylan Johnson in their running game. And they went up to Oregon yeah. in 2022 and ran the ball really well. Yeah, in a close win. So the second, for time, me, it that second yeah. time it was that way. Second time it was that way. So for me, it is okay. In big games, the run game has been able to get going against your defense. You're going into more of a run-oriented conference. So that's going to be for me, yeah. teams are going to be more willing to run Penn Different State type of running, but yes, yeah. I get your point. Yeah. Penn State will be willing to line up because Penn State defensively can say, Okay, we, we feel like defensively we can play with it. Right. We're gonna force you to consistently stop the run right. and see if you're willing, willing to do that. Because in the Pac-12, I feel like this is my thing. If you're the best run defense in the Pac-12, most teams in the Pac-12 aren't going to be committed to the run. And no, the, the ones that
1: do, well, the only team that's the only two teams that are really committed to the run that I felt were Oregon and Oregon State.
2: Mm-hmm. One
1: of them you don't play.
2: Right. It's you. Right.
1: Right. And, 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 you know, then, then there's the other one. And then you got to look at how they performed in in those games. And Mm -hmm. it's a mixed bag this year. They completely shut down Oregon state's run game, Mm -hmm. completely shut it down last year. Oregon state almost ran for 300 yards against them. So yeah, there, there, there have been, I I think the Washington game too, but like the game you're talking about, they held Washington under hundred yards. First time they played Mm Russia. And then the second time they had some key runs, but it wasn't volume. They ran for like a buck fifty. No, 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 no. Right? Washington knew. The key, it was yes. the key runs mm-hmm. in in those key moments. To your point, that you could look at and say, well, the numbers weren't that impressive. What are you talking about? But it was like they couldn't make stops when they needed to make stops. That mm-hmm. is a legitimate knock. Yeah. But and I don't have Oregon's defense in my top five. It's the combination of them mm-hmm. because I think their offense is top three. Oh, in my absolutely. Opinion. With what they're doing right now with Will Stein,
2: absolutely, and
1: they're going into a conference because it's the counter to what you said about the defense. Off defense is in the pack tw- in the Big Ten are going to have a tough time with Oregon's offense. In my opinion. yes,
2: yes, because it's a different type of run game, right. right? And it's a different type
1: of tempo and a different yes. type of perimeter speed.
2: Mm-hmm. In my opinion, yes, which I think bows well because now I think the Big Ten is forced recruiting wise. If coaches are smart. The only team that's ready to play them on the perimeter is probably Michigan would have a good chance to play them on a perimeter with the defensive backs they have Mm -hmm. remaining. And then Ohio State constantly has talent and safeties. Mm -hmm. They get Caleb down. So those are two teams. And then Penn State usually puts a lot of NFL Defensive backs on the field as well, yeah. And linebackers. We well, said
1: this, man. No, nobody wastes more talent on defense than what James Franklin does. Mm-hmm. Nobody wastes Absolutely. more NFL talent than James Franklin. Absolutely. I mean, they, dude, they're having like walk-on special teamers running four threes at the combine. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just ridiculous, you know. Um Your five. You had Texas. Mm-hmm. This is the one I had I, for me. It came down to Texas and and Utah, and the reason I went with Utah. Is just because of I have a similar issue about Texas's defense that you have about Oregon's offense. Mm-hmm. Statistically, it's very good. It was good enough for them to get to the postseason. But to me, in a couple of the big games, like like I thought Texas's defense the last couple of years, it benefited from. If we're being honest, the Big Twelve has not had the kind of offenses that they've had in in the past, the last couple of years for the most part. Now, and when you did watch Texas last year against the couple of good offenses that they faced, uh-huh. the results were mixed. Back, uh-huh. they did great against TCU, got shredded by Washington by Kansas State, right? And, and so, to me, the fact that they they did well against Bama this year, but you know my stand, we had that debate the other day. Uh-huh. You know, Oklahoma went for over two hundred on both both capacities, running and passing. Uh-huh. Their run game after that was phenomenal run defense after that was phenomenal, but they sacrificed it to, they g- they gave up some like, three games of over 300 yards passing. Now, uh, part of that is that they, they had like three freshmen, they had three freshmen tr- playing a ton of football in the secondary. Right. So, so to me, the combination of their defense not being great in some of the bigger games and the offense really just being a one year being really good for one year Uh I think they're going to be there this year, but I need to see it first offensively Um, with Utah. The thing is like Utah. Texas has taken elite talent and said, "Okay, we're going to take advantage and have better players than everybody else. And I thought there were stretches of the season where Texas wasn't as dominant as they should have been compared to their talent advantage. A lot of that's because they were young. And that's why I think Texas is going to be really good in 2024 because a lot of those young guys are now going to be sophomores and juniors, whereas this year they were freshmen and sophomores. Mm-hmm. And so now I, – so I, looking forward, I think Texas is going to be there, but I can't put them there yet because it's not – like we're not putting Mike Denbrock and Al Golden on this list because of what we think they're going to do. we are put them on the yeah. list because of what they are.
2: All right. And so, and, so yeah.
1: for me, uh, with Texas, that's kind of why I'm there with them is I just need to see that offense do it a second year. Now I think Sark is going to be great at it. But if if the defense was better in some of the bigger games, I would have him in there cuz I do think Sark is a top 5 offensive mind. The results just haven't matched it at Texas up until this past year. Yeah. So I will push back against no one who wants to have Texas on there, but the reason I went with Utah is number 1, the consistency of the last few years. The fact that Utah has been at their best in big games, like that's when Utah shines. It's it's exact opposite of what we said with some other teams. You know, like when when Oregon and Utah played a couple years ago in 2021. This is in the Mara Cristobal era, in neither one of those years was was Utah in the same boat, the same league as as, as Oregon talent wise. But they kicked Oregon's butt both times because they were incredibly well coached. Uh-huh. They took they took Ohio State down to the wire despite the fact they had a a, one of their running backs was playing cornerback in that game because they were so banged up and had kids out because they were schemed incredibly well and and so to me sean when i when i look at utah it's that maximizing of their potential yeah you ask yourself man what would ludwig and and morgan scally do if they had oregon's roster You know what I mean? Like, what would they do if they had Sark's roster or Bama's roster? Yeah, That's the thing for me. The results may not be as sexy as what others say, but when you look at the efficiency numbers, not many people can say they've had a top-10 caliber offense in two of the last three years and defense in two of the last three – actually, last three years than than Utah. And, And that's why, for me, I feel like every year Utah's winning more games than they should. Where other teams, you're just like, man, why, why isn't that team winning more? Or yeah. why aren't they winning yeah. more impressively? But the the big game nature, too, somebody I in the chat said, I'm, I'm glad they didn't hire any love because Mike Dembrock's way better. I would argue that Mike Dembrock's better. I would push back strongly against the notion that he's way better. Right? Utah had a bad year because they were playing their third-string quarterback, former walk-on most of the year, and they were completely banged up. I was, you that does not dismiss the 20 years. Let's not. You remember when Bama got beaten? 08 by Utah. Got out. Mm-hmm. Nick Saban got out. Coached for sixty minutes. You know who the OC was on that team, Andy Lovewood. Andy Lovewood. Right. We we can say, dude, I'm so. It, it, it worked out great for Notre Dame, because even if they're even if they're on the same page as coaches, Mike Denbrock's a much better recruiter. Exactly. Right. So like, yes, it worked out for Notre Dame. I'm I'm thrilled. I'm super fired up that Mike Mike Denbrock's the OC. But let's not now start putting disrespect on Andy Ludwig's name. That's a phenomenal football coach. There's a reason we all wanted that to happen last year. It didn't work out. It's about how you respond to it. Marcus Freeman responded beautifully to it. And it worked out great for Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. But it would have worked out great if Mike if Andy Ludwig was here too. Let's not see, kid ourselves.
2: That was that was right. The way the, the way the offense for Utah went last year was Notre Dame fans' excuse to say, see, we got it right. No, you didn't. No, no, you didn't. No, the way it went down was horrible. It was a mistake. And now because you had Mike Denbrock, it's like, well, it's a blessing in disguise that still does not excuse the fact that the way it was handled was horrible. It was a mistake. Right. And you missed out on the opportunity to get a really good offensive coordinator and and be thankful that the college football gods shined down upon us.
1: Yes. And we ended up with Mike
2: Denbrock. Yes. Instead and of year two of their and part. Brian Kelly for some dumb things
1: he yes. did. this dumb office, things he which did. Which I told you about. Right. Yeah, so we can say, hey, you know what? Here's what. Here's where I look at it, folks. This is what should have you excited. Two years in a row, Marcus Freeman's top target for OC was a heck of a football coach. Mm-hmm. And leave it at that. Yes, it's worked out well for Notre Dame, but it would have also worked out well if – because we'd be talking about going into year two of Andy Ludwig, and we'd be pretty fired up about it. Right, that that's what we would be talking about. So it was a win-win. Ludwig last year, Denbrock this year. I prefer Denbrock, which is why Notre Dame's higher on my the list for me. <laughs> but that's a heck of a combination at Utah.
0: You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah.
1: Texas was my next one on the list, Sean. Um, you're, So you talked about your five, right? Here's some that were next up for me. Texas was next in line. I'm not going to push back on anyone who has to have Texas ahead of Utah. I Actually, I, I think you could make a case for Texas being ahead of Utah, Oregon, and Florida State on my list, and those two plus um, uh, Louisville on your list. Mm-hmm. Georgia for me did not make it because while I think their defense is outstanding, I need to see their offense. Like I was not as as high on their offense this year as 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 you and some others seem to be because I think their offense just out talented people, to be completely honest with you. And and especially in the second half. And I never watched those games and be like, man, Mike Bobo was coaching circles around this guy. Like we we would see with Todd Munkin. And that's also why I think when you saw them play teams with somewhat equal talent, they struggled early in those games. You know, they, they struggled against – South. I mean, they're losing 14-3 to three at halftime against South Carolina. They struggled, you know, early against Auburn. If you remember, they had to come back late and won that game because they just, they just said, okay, let's start throwing the ball to Brock Bowers. Where was <laughs> that in the first half? You know what I mean? And, you know, we saw that at, at times this year where it's Missouri. I, I just – again, it was just you have better players than they have. Uh-huh. You know, against Alabama in the in the bowl game too. I mean, you got out coached in that game. Flat out, your office flat got out coached in that football game. So I'm just not there. I'm just not there with Mike Bobo. The numbers look great, but it's kind of like, but Larry Coker's first team at Miami looked pretty freaking good too, <laughs> right? Like. You inherited a pretty good situation. Let's see how you are as you get further and further away. Because, because like you can look at the results were great, but when I watched Georgia, I just didn't see the same kind of team from a from a preparation and a play calling standpoint that I saw with
2: with Todd Munkin. Well, my respect for Mike Bobo was not about when he had the horses, right? right. Carson Beck played better once yeah. Brock Bowers. He got them through. Everybody thought okay, they're going into three of their toughest games without Brock Bowers. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, the kid, like, he got the kid to play at his best without his best player. So for me, I was like, yo. It
1: was two games, right?
2: And and this was not a typical Georgia run offense this year. Now, that can be something that you can point to. Right. Right. But they I had injuries on the offensive line. They had some injuries. They were a young yeah. offensive line. Yeah. yeah. Monroe Freeman ended up playing a
1: lot. Yeah. Their running backs are just there's they're solid. Nothing special. You know, they're they're right. not special. No, I don't I actually don't fault him for that. I think they were kind of bad. But the two games he missed though were against Florida and Missouri. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you, Missouri game I thought was was pretty well schemed. In my or, you know pretty well played. I don't know if I'd say well schemed, but I think that was to your point, Sean. I think that was also good because you you just said, Hey guys, got to step up. Yeah, right. And and it wasn't just Brock Bowers either. If you're wanting to make it, McConkie was hurt, exactly, was exactly. hurt too.
2: Yeah, he missed yeah. some of
1: those games as well. but he did play against Florida, Missouri, and he went off in both games, you know. So you so the case could be like, hey, he he very rarely had Bowers and McConkie healthy at the same time. Very fair. Mm-hmm. Very fair. He didn't have an elite running back like he had room and he had to pass. The, past. the offensive, line, offensive line had some injuries. All that to me, Sean, is, is acceptable, which is why Georgia was the second team on my list off. Because, yes, he didn't do well the first go-round, but we have to also be willing to say maybe he's improved. Coaches get better. I mean, coaches learn. And it just to me, there just was so much inconsistency this year. And and there's reasons for it, but it still happened, you know, it still happened because otherwise you say, Well, like, like why why not throw Jared Parker in there? You know, because Notre Dame's offense was top ten in all these categories and scored 40 plus points a game nine times, and all that you know what I mean. But it's like, yeah, but there was just too much inconsistency. Yeah. Uh, the difference is George's offense did better in some of the bigger games than their yeah. names, but like you get you get the point that I'm making. Here's another that was on that's on the that, that they're on the list for one. But
2: Go ahead. quick question if you yeah. say that are you shocked that I think Todd Munkin recruited to what he does. Mm-hmm. Todd Monken has a their wide receiver core was very specialized, if you understand what I'm yes. saying. Like they very have guys what he does very specific to the packages, like Arian Smith. This is the speed guy. We're gonna hey we're trying to go deep, he's in the game. Uh Saint Jack, this is our possession guy, third down guy, right? And then Ladd is gonna be, you know, the Dylan Bell is gonna be our jet sweet guy. And I think once Monkey left, I don't know if Bobo which goes to, like, maybe now he recruits differently at the wide receiver position for what he wants to do, right? Maybe more traditional wide receivers that fit, you know, because I think the Delp kid is pretty good. I think they have a pretty good tight end coming in in the 24 class. I don't know if they have the next Brock Bowers.
1: Yeah, but, but here's I- the thing. no, Nobody else in college football has the next Brock Bowers either. <laughs> they did get Benjamin Urosek from Stanford. Right on the transfer. Uh, right, they they got a couple. Of them, the Landon Humphreys guy that a lot of people are high on from Vanderbilt is a good football player. And their freshman class last year, I, I don't know, it didn't make a huge huge impact, but it has some kids I really like in it too. You know that I, I like the Tyler Williams kid. Yeah, I like it. Ton. He's pretty raw, you know. But they have landed a couple kids, but they haven't they haven't recruited re- receiver great mm. in recent years because I still also feel like Todd Munkin kind of was was kind of had his eye on. And we're gonna go out and win these next couple things and I'm gonna mm-hmm. do exactly what he did. Just go to the NFL. But I also think just overall George was able to out talent people. And that's yeah. the thing is like I just felt like that's what I saw a lot this year. It was just they'd fall behind early and they just got better dudes than you have.
2: Yeah.
1: That's because like when you like what you said, Sean, I mean, yeah, when Brock Bowers went down, it's not like the guy they were putting in was some bum. No, you know what I really mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, so so um yeah, it's just kind of like it's kind of like when Alize Mack went down and what was it, eighteen? Yeah. Oh shoot! How are we going to survive? I'm gonna all survive the a couple weeks? You know what I mean? Like, how will we ever survive without without? And, and even
2: with the even with the injuries to offline, line, I mean, yo, you got Monroe Freeland coming in right, Freshman, right. right.
1: It's, it's kind of like we talk about Notre Dame. yeah you lose joe walt and you go to the yeah. bowl game and how are you going to survive having to play charles jagas Right. i mean monroe yeah. was our number one tackle in the right in that previous class or him and jagasaw were one and two in that previous yeah. class uh, he was the number one pure left tackle i always you know thought him at left and charles at right would have been a lot of fun to watch but mm-hmm. you'll know, we'll see george on that list uh sean for me Here's another one that I think is very underrated, and, and I and I have a feeling I'm gonna get some pushback on this one from, from the folks in the chat. I have Penn State as a team to watch out for
2: this year, too.
3: Mm, I thought I you were going somewhere the, else, but
1: I got some more. I got some
2: more. Well, who yeah, did boy. you think I was gonna say? Yo, I, I really think the combination at Michigan State, I want to see what that's they do at Michigan my, State. On my,
1: yes, that's all my... I love lingering at Rossi yeah.
2: and I. Yes. I really do. If
1: Joe Rossi's offense, defense hadn't struggled as much as it did this year, mm-hmm. they'd be right near in the conversation. They mm-hmm. they are on my to-watch list because I yeah. think – and, and also Jonathan Smith is very involved in the offense. You and know? offense, and he's right. The guy with them.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, they, they're on my to-watch list. But here's the one for me. It's Penn State. I love the guy they got from Kansas. You know I'm i a big fan of him. I know Ryan loves him. Ryan, Ryan Ryan's probably higher on him even than I am. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I think Tom Allen's a really good defensive mind. You, when you look at what he did at South Florida, the, you, you gave up 27 points per game in his one year at South Florida, mm-hmm. but, but go back and look what they were the year before they gave up 38, 37 points per game. The year before he took 10 off in one year, yeah. then he goes to Indiana and does about the same thing at Indiana. And there was a couple years, even when he was head coach, Indiana, some pretty stingy defenses in a couple of those years. He just couldn't recruit. And he just wasn't a head coach, but I think he's a really good defensive coordinator, and he's walking into a pretty good situation. I think that's gonna has a chance. Now I want to see how they do under James Franklin, mm-hmm. but don't be shocked if we're talking about Penn State. I'll say this: I'm not a big James Franklin fan, you know that, but he made strong hires this offseason. Absolutely, real strong hires this offseason. Uh, another team on my list that's a they're not there yet, but I got my eye on them is USC. Look, Lincoln Riley had a down year this year. I think Lincoln Riley's biggest problem the last two years, and Sean, you're going to get pissed when I say this, but let me explain, right? The biggest problem he had the last two years from a play-calling standpoint was Caleb Williams because he had such an elite talent that I think he did things that went outside of what I think he should have done. He he forced Caleb to put the Superman cape on too many times, and said, Hey, this kid can do things nobody else can, so let's take advantage of that. Where I think they should have been more like what they used to be, and then mix in some of that stuff. They went away from running the football because I think he just kind of thought, How do I take the ball out of Caleb Williams' hands? You know, and 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 when they would run it, they were pretty good, like they did a couple years ago against Notre Dame. I, I think that they they went away from just to me being the kind of team that they needed to be. I think he also did a really poor job of building the offensive line. The one thing he had at Oklahoma, and this is the biggest thing that we're going to learn about Lincoln Riley's head coach. He inherited Bill Bedenball. That was a great, that was, that's like, that's like taking over as the OC at Notre Dame mm-hmm. and like Mike Denbrock did in 14 and having Harry, he stand.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. Like you walked into yeah. a pretty good situation. And, and so that's, but he's still a top 10 offensive mind easily. The DeAnton Lynn is an interesting one for me because he's a one year coordinator. And I got to see it for more years. But here's the deal if you look at what I said for Notre Dame, they had the number two and the number six offense and defense last year. The the play callers for the number two and the number six offense and defense are at Notre Dame. Oregon's one and thirteen. Florida State's 29 and 10. Georgia's three and eleven. USC seven and nine. Because the UCLA defense was the number nine efficiency defense last year. If y'all did not watch UCLA's defense last year, you missed out. That was a really good defensive football team. A really good defensive football team last year. Now, was that DeAnton Lynn building on what had already been established? Maybe. But the year before, they gave up 29 points. Now, what I think DeAnton Lynn walked into was a pretty talented roster that he was able to mold and, and turn into a really good defense.
2: It could really he, come off the edge and the 29 pass.
1: Twenty-nine points yeah. per game the year before. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, they had all talent, but it's kind of like Mike Elko having to take over for, for Brian Van Gorder, but he actually even had better numbers in his first year than Elko had when he replaced Van Gorder. Mm-hmm. So, to me, I really like the job he did. The reason I can't put UCLA USC on there, Sean, is because I just need to see him do it, for more than a year it's exactly like i said with ron english i got to see him do it more than a year but i think that was a strong hire by usc this offseason now the question is what's going to be answered this year sean here's the other thing i still believe a big problem with usc is not that he makes bad coordinator hires it's that the way he runs his program makes it hard to run to have a good defense yeah that's what i think is true right and Mm -hmm. so we're going to find out this year. If DeAnton Lynn can't do a, a good job with the town he's going to have at USC, then we know the problem is not the defensive coordinator. The, coordinator, the problem is the head football coach. So, but on paper, you've got the number seven and number nine play callers from last year, offense and defense. Mm-hmm. So that they have to me that that alone makes us at least have to say, hmm, this could be interesting. Let's see what yeah. he does. Now, he's not going to have a loaded roster. The USC talent on defense is not elite. It's not like yeah. you're walking in and you've got 4 USC talent and you just don't have a good coach. Like, they, they, need to, they need to restock that roster a little bit, but there's plenty enough talent for them to have a top 15, top 20 defense this year if Lincoln Riley is, is what he needs to be.
2: I wonder what you think about this, because going back to what we talked about in the first segment with the coaching staff that's been assembled at Notre Dame and the head guy learning his lesson and reacting quickly. I was shocked that Lincoln Riley didn't take notes from what Ludwig and um I don't know why I just drew a blank on the DC at Utah. Morgan Scally It's Morgan Scally What they did to him. Yeah. In that in that Pac-12 championship game. Like that should have been the sign like okay, this is how we're going to win it next year. When what Ludwig did twice. Twice. They yeah. made it a bloody, physical, punch you in the mouth, and you're going to have to keep doing it. Yeah, yeah you, you can jump out us out on us early, but we're going to take you into deep water regardless. You know what can I think you? it was, Sean? I think he
1: looked at it as an anomaly.
2: Mm, that's the, He'd the never been grade. bloody.
1: Like, even the two lane game, that was an outscore you game where you could just blame the defensive coordinator. Your mm-hmm. offense put up a ton of points and yards.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I think he looked at it as an anomaly. And you know, hey, they got me that time, but we hung mm-hmm. forty-two on them during the regular season against Utah. I think that's really what it boils down to for me. What happened to them this year is they got punched in the mouth, and they kept getting punched in the mouth, and they mm-hmm. didn't do it; they couldn't do a dang thing about it. Because, because like this year, you could just look and say, well, well, if it was only the Notre Dame game where they got where they struggled like that. But if you go back and watch, I mean, several games that year. I mean, they 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 struggled up front against Arizona State, who's not even that good. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they, they struggled in the trenches in a lot of games, and even some games they ran for a lot Utah of yards. Utah dominated
2: the trenches. Yeah. against
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I'm not not Arizona State. I'm sorry, Arizona. Arizona. Is, is, yeah. You know, they struggled to run the football. They struggled in the trenches against Utah. A beat up Utah team. They struggled in the. Yeah. They struggled to to run the football against Cal. You know, they, they the last four three games of the year against Oregon, UCL, and Louisville, they ran for a combined total of 147 yards combined in those three games. This is tailback, like historically, this is tailback you. Yeah. You had Marshawn Lloyd and Austin Jones at running back. Like, there was no excuse for you to be that bad running the football. No. And to your point, he didn't learn that lesson, but he did he did now, at least yeah. defensively. Now the question is gonna be: does he learn his lesson offensively? That's the question. And did yeah. and here's the thing you got to ask yourself: did he succeed? Did Ryan Day succeed early at Ohio State as the OC and the head coach because he had urban? dictating they were going to be this way and the further they've gotten away they struggled was his success at Oklahoma driven by the fact that what he was handed the Ferrari that he was handed Mm -hmm. by Bob Stoops with the coaching staff now again he was the OC for that but Bob Stoops put that offensive staff together he he hired Bill Bedbaugh all those type of things so to me those are things you have to look at and say can he fix those things because you can say hey like here's a perfect example. Ryan Day got embarrassed by Michigan two years in a row, and he kept pushing buttons and blaming everybody for what happened, and it didn't change a dang thing. No, it, it, are these moves for Lincoln Riley going to change anything? That's the that's a question that we have. Yeah, and and we'll have to find that out. And that's why they're not on my list, to be completely mm-hmm. honest with you. Because yeah. I, I I mean, from what I saw from De'Anton Lynn this year, the guy did a heck of a job, but he's going to be going against the same teams. So a lot of the same teams that he went against this year, right. and he's going to be going against – I mean, the thing is USC is going into a much worse offensive league. Now, the problem with the USC has is their schedule in year one's not exactly easy. And they actually have a, a – I'm going to pull it up right now, Sean. It's a pretty tough schedule. They play LSU in a, non, in a non-conference game. They play uh-huh. Notre Dame in a non-conference game. They play at Michigan, home against Wisconsin, at Minnesota, home against Penn State, at Maryland, home against Rutgers, at Washington, home against Nebraska, and at UCLA. So they avoid they avoid Ohio State and they avoid Oregon but they still got to play LSU and Notre Dame non-conference they still got to play at UCLA they still got to play at Washington they still got to play Penn State and Michigan and Wisconsin so we're we're if they're good on offense defense this year it'll be earned there may yeah. be future years where maybe it's not as earned as much because they get a lot of the the Purdues and the Nebraska, the Wisconsins and the Indianas on the schedule but this year it'll be earned. So we'll, we're going to find out, like right now, right now. You know, if if he if he's got the infrastructure in place to allow DeAnton Lynn to thrive at USC, yeah. the way he did at UCLA, because at UCLA it was easier for DeAnton Lynn because you were playing an offense that was ball control, run the football, shorten the game. Now it's like, dude, you may make a stop, but you got to be on the field in forty five seconds of action. Not just because you went three and out, because you scored in two plays. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's a tougher deal, man. But it's I think that's it's it's the practice that leads to that. Yeah. That would be the concern for me. The mentality think, of the team.
2: Yeah, it's the same thing. It's going to be interesting in that matchup with LSU because that those two programs that are like swerving a little bit on ice, and both head coaches are trying to recover, trying to recover and straighten things yeah. back up because it is it's is cat you know. You don't want to. You want to. You don't want to start swerve. You don't you want to tailspin. Storyline is going to be great in that game, Sean. You you have mm-hmm. this
1: offense at LSU that was his, that was phenomenal. If it wasn't for the nineteen offense, that's a historic LSU offense.
2: Yeah. <laughs> right. It just right? it
1: not seem so because of how amazing the nineteen offense was. Yeah. It, but you've got Dembrock's gone. Jaden Daniels is gone. Malik Neighbors is gone. Brian Thomas is gone. You know, and then USC you know with the changes they're going through it's going to be very very fascinating. Uh-huh. Let's go through a couple other Sean that are on our list. I'm going to give a couple that I also considered and I want to hear a couple that you also had on your list. I did have UCLA uh, on my list of teams to consider. Uh-huh. Michigan State was on there. And, and yeah. again, if 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 Joe Rossi's defense had not taken the big step back they they were like 80th in efficiency this year. I mean they part of it's cuz their offense was one of the worst offenses in college in the Power 5 level. Yeah. But if he hadn't taken that step back this year, it would have been hard for me to keep Michigan State off my list. But I did still consider them. Uh, got Utah, got all those. Here's another team, Sean, to me that is is in the conversation and they would have been even higher if not for this year. Robert and I's offense at NC State did not do very well early this year. But if you look at his track record of success and the job Tony Gibson has done, yeah. if Robert and I can get that offense back on track – NC State's going to make some noise in the ACC because those are two tra- traditionally, like historically, two excellent coordinators. Yeah. They just, I just, Robert and I's offense just had some issues this year at, at, at yeah. NC State, but they were young. Yeah. I think the, the the Brennan. I'll say this too: the Brennan Armstrong he had is not the same as the Brennan Armstrong oh, at, at, at NC State. Because here is what people yeah. got to remember: it's kind of like Dane Chris. Well, how do you know Dane Chris is a bust? Well, because he went to Kansas and was just bad. But my thing is, no, he was ruined at Notre Dame. And there was no fixing that. It's like with Malik at Florida. Like the damage had kind of already been done there. Mm-hmm. The opportunities had been missed there. Uh we've seen this with other quarterbacks, not just Notre Dame guys, but like they go somewhere else and well, oh, they didn't play well there. Yeah, but they'd already been kind of damaged beyond ever. Everett Golson. Everett Golson when at Florida left. State, exactly. Yeah. And and so uh that that was kind of that was kind of my thing. I just I, I never thought Brandon Armstrong was as good as people made him out to be. And I just felt like he was kind of damaged goods last year. If I'm going to be completely honest with you, yeah. but we started to see some signs of life from NC State in the last, you know, four games of the year, Sean. If you look at it in the first, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, in the first nine games of the year, mm-hmm. they were only above 5.5 yards per play three, two times in the first eight games. That was against VMI and Marshall. They were 4-4 against Notre Dame, 4-8 against Virginia, 3-6 against Louisville, 4-4 against Duke, 4-4 against Clemson, 4-8 against Miami. In the last four games, they were 5-7, 5-5, 6-8, and 6-4, including in the bowl game against Kansas State. And so they only rushed for uh, over 200 yards four times all year. Actually, let me put it this way. They only rushed for over 180 yards five times all year, three of those five times were in the last four games. So you started to see them kind of figured out late. Now it helped they were going against to to Wake Forest and Virginia Tech and North Carolina oh. and 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 Kansas. But but Kansas State, as you mentioned, very good offense. Yeah. And and so you started to see some signs of life from that uh, the Anai offense. They're getting um Grayson McCall, who I'm not a big fan of, but he can he can run Robert Anai's offense, which is just about dude. Just I'm calling it just get it. Brendan Armstrong tried to get too cute last year, tried to like make too many plays. He played he, hunting. Yeah, he got that in his head for me. He Need to do that the year before. What made him so good to year in twenty twenty one was dude just drop back and throw the ball to the open guy. He's going to have some better weapons this year. The Concepcion kid's going to be a year older. So Noah I actually, Rogers, they yes, got him from Ohio. State. Yes, yeah, and and so they had some young kids playing. They they you know Zeke Carell for them is a good mm-hmm. pickup for them. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they need that kind of that veteran presence, that leader type of player in there. And, and I think the system fits what they do very well. Uh, they got a they got a, a solid transfer player from Wake Forest who didn't play a lot because he was buried. Uh, Wesley Grimes. They you know, so they, they got some players in the portal that I think can can help them a little bit. In my opinion, they got the Jordan Waters kid at running back from Duke. He transferred there. He's a good football player. Uh, they got a really good tight end from from Connecticut. Uh, to transfer there as well. So like they had a good portal off season. The players are now going into year two of what he's doing. So that's the team that's on my radar for, I'm really curious to see how they do. Cause then, you know, I mean, Tony Gibson did a great job last year, all the losses Mm -hmm. they had and they still were really good on defense. And so that's another one that's on my, my list of teams that I considered, for my top five in this one, Sean, what are some others that you consider to be in the top five this year? Not guys that for maybe for down the road, but guys. Not
2: really other than the ones we talked about. Okay. I really, everything else is just like, yo, we'll, we'll keep a watch on some combinations that are kind of new with coaching changes and everything. I am very interested in the combination at, at Alabama. I am. Yes. Cause I just know Kalen DeBoer is, yeah. yo the offensive side, I trust the defensive side and the tradition that was there. I want to see what happens.
1: I loved the hire. Oh yeah. I mean, in in theory, you went and got a head football coach at a a guy that had done a pretty good job of turning that Kane Womack is who the, who the coaches. He had done a pretty good job of, of building South Alabama up, you know, this past year, they went, you know, last two years, they went 17 to nine. They kicked the crap out of Oklahoma state this year. He he had done a pretty good job there. His dad, if you remember, his dad Sean is a, is a former defensive coordinator in the SEC. His dad was the OC at Ole Miss under the Freeze. Yeah, uh, so he's he's coaching pipeline. So that was a higher the the Nick Sheridan one on offense. I know nothing about. That's that's the reason Alabama's not in consideration for me. They're yeah. on my teams to look for in twenty twenty five because I need to see how does Kane Womack go do going from a head football coach to. You know, being an assistant coach that that yeah. that's not always an easy thing to do. That's not always yeah. a transition that people can make.
2: Yeah,
1: you know, and 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 so how's he going to be? He was only been a D coordinator for two years under Tom Allen at the Power mm-hmm. Five level. His other six, you know, he was a DC under you know, South Alabama for a couple of years, right? So the track record's not there to, to to be blown away just yet. But there's a lot about that move that I love that I think. Could pan out because, you know, I haven't liked their last couple of D coordinators. Right. Like Ole Miss isn't considered. Why? Because I don't think Pete Golding's any good. I've been saying this <laughs> for years. I love the offensive staff, whether you consider it to be, you know, Lane or Charlie Weiss Jr. Whoever's running that offense is doing a freaking great job, right? That's all we know. You know what I mean? But I'm just not a Pete Golding guy. Mm-hmm. I, I There's potential for the defensive staff. I just don't know the Nick Sheridan one. But to your point, you got to think Kalen DeBoer is, is going to. Be the one to make sure that offense is still pretty good. Right. Just how involved will he be in the offense? That's what I don't know. That's a bit of an unknown for me. But they're on my radar. Here, here's a couple, Sean, that I have on my eye for 2025. We'll get your thoughts on them real quick. We'll just kind of work through this list real quickly. Clemson. And I'll and I'll say here's why Clemson's on my list. I think Clemson showed a lot of potential on offense, a lot of growth on offense later in the year. I thought they did some really nice things in the first half against Notre Dame schematically on both sides of the ball that gave Notre Dame problems. Mm -hmm. And then once they got the lead in the second half, the offense went into a shell. Why? Because they knew Notre Dame had no chance to score on them in the second half. They were not going to give Notre Dame a short field. But I thought they did some really nice things schematically in that game. They finished the year on a good note. I want to see what they do now in year three because I want to see if Dabo is going to allow Garrett Riley to run that offense in a different kind of way. I really want to see it, and and that's that's one that's on my radar. Miami with Shannon Dawson and Lance Gidry, is one that I'm going to keep my eye on. I really like that duo at SMU with Rob Likens on the defense and Casey Woods on offense, plus you obviously have Rhett Lashley. I want to see how they do in a Power 5 conference. Uh, here's an interesting one, Sean. Iowa. Tim Lester's done some nice things as an offensive coordinator in the past. Yeah. You you got an elite – you got arguably the best D coordinator in football, in college football, in Phil Parker. Absolutely. It, Tim Lester just has to be solid. Oh, right, right. Or I to right. be really, really good. Right. You know what I mean? Um, because it's an upgrade over, like – I mean, like, if it was a matchup between Brian Van Gorder and Brian Ferentz, Brian Van Gorder would shut Brian Ferentz down.
2: That's scary. That's
1: how bad he is. It's terrible. Uh, so so that's when I got my eye on uh the the old myth, the Missouri one, the guy that they hired, uh that Missouri hired this year, Sean, is their OC is yeah. a guy that, that I didn't I never had heard of him before. <laughs> but when you you know, I love their OC, you know that.
2: Drink is heavily involved.
1: Right, but he yeah. was he right, but he was the D coordinator on that South Alabama team that Kane Womack came from. Right. Right. So I thought that was a strong hire. And there were some rumblings about you know DJ Durkin maybe getting that job and a couple other guys that would have not been sexy hires. I ended up liking that pick. And here's another one, Sean, uh, for me. Iowa State. Yes. John yes. Heacock's a top coordinator. Man, Nathan House did a really nice job last year in his first year as OC c- relative to where they were. And some of the – like, they had their quarterback got suspended and they had all these – I know Illinois – Shout out to like my Illinois guy. I knew you I know you'd like this one. Uh, but they did some really nice things. Iowa State underachieved in the two previous years under Matt Campbell. Mm-hmm. I thought they overachieved last year. When you consider, like, the, the they had the gambling thing, I think their quarterback got suspended, and, like, they had all these issues. They were – even in the games, some of the games they lost, they were a tough out. In some of those games, Sean yeah. and I really like the things that they did. We all we already know John He. I mean, Marcus Freeman interviewed him and and thought about hiring him before Al Golden in 2022. Mm-hmm. John a good football coach. Yeah, but Nathan Shieldhouse I thought did a really nice job. A really nice job.
2: I am going to watch with Loxley. I'm interested in seeing that because I'm like, yo, this either this is going to be kind of good or kind of bad. Like we uh, talk about Josh Gaddis. Kevin Sumlin, Brian Williams, all name team, and, and lots. Oh, absolutely, all
1: name team. Absolutely,
2: absolutely. Yeah, that's going to yeah. be an interesting one,
1: Sean. Because, like, I think you nailed it. It's, 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 it's either going to be a a total disaster, or, you know, it. Yeah. I, you know I me. Mean, I, I think Kevin Sumlin was a pretty good offensive mind. I think he did some really nice things at Houston, and yeah, and uh, I mean, he was the head coach when 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 Johnny Manziel won the Heisman. You know, but he just i don't think he's a head coach. Uh-huh. But can he can he adjust to being a coordinator, you know? Like I don't and yeah. then I'm just not high on Josh Gattis. That that's yeah. my big thing. Like I just I'm yeah. not a big Josh Gattis fan. Here's another one I like. So obviously the D coordinator at Kansas State's done a really nice job, Joe Klanderman. But they lost Colin Klein cuz if Colin Klein stays at Texas A&M or he I mean stays at Kansas State doesn't go to Texas A&M, Kansas State's in my consideration for top 5 coordinators. Mhm. A&M would be in my top five because of Klein consideration, but they hired Jay Bateman to run the defense. That's a concern for me. Now, Mike Elko is gonna make sure Jay Bateman's not as bad as he was at other yeah. places, but he's Brandon still man. he's still not gonna, you know, he's yeah. still Jay Bateman. And and so that's not one, but 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 he hired Matt Wells. You remember him? He was the head coach at Texas Tech, and he he was also the head coach at Utah State before that. A pretty good offensive mind. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I liked that hire to replace him with, the, to, to replace him. And here's another one. Kansas, or TCU, has Kendall Browse, who's a good offensive mind. They hired Andy Avalos as their D coordinator. Remember, he didn't do a very good job as a head coach at Boise. No. But he had built himself up as a pretty good defensive Coordinate. coordinator. Yeah. And his Oregon defenses before he took over the Boise job were pretty darn good in my opinion. So that, that was a good hire because their defensive T even the year they played for the title, their defensive TC was terrible. Not good. It was terrible. Yeah. So I I do like that one. And those are, those are some of the main ones, Sean, that I kind of have my eye on. And here's another one. Uh, BYU made a hire last year on D coordinator, Jay Hill guy that has a pretty good reputation. I love Aaron Roderick. You know, that as the OC, Mm -hmm. they got to rebuild that defense. And that's one that I kind of got my eye on a, a little bit this year as well. And then um, the 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 this is this is one for me. The last one for me is is um, two two last two for me are Michigan just because giant unknowns with those two mm-hmm. hires giant yeah. unknowns. I don't think yeah. Wink Martindale is a good hire. Ryan does, yeah. and, and and I've given some credence to what Ryan says because Ryan watches his defense a lot more than me. I just yeah. I have some big reservations for different reasons about how good of a hire that was. Yeah. I know. None of us know how good of a hire Kirk Campbell was. Will be. None of us know. That's a yeah. guess. But I, I said this before, Sean. I'm not going to doubt Sharon Moore again until he gives me reason to. Because he made me look like a fool. Because <laughs> I said that was a bad. That was a bad job by Jim Harwell. You're coming off the, the dumpster fire 2020. You're moving your tight ends coach to your coach line. What mm-hmm. are you doing? Like, he's young. Like he's proven nothing. What are you doing?
2: Pretty well, good all, job. All
1: he does is when two Joe Moore's, and then the year they don't win the Joe Moore, they win the national championship. So, yeah. as I said, Sharon Moore, I will not doubt him again until he gives me reason to doubt him. Uh, as far as like things like that, but that's a major question mark. And then LSU made a really good hire on a D coordinator job. I like that Blake Baker hire. You hired a guy from the SEC who's proven he could put a pretty good defense on the field. The offensive one is the is the big question mark. Is Absolutely. is is the LSU spin that we're hearing? legit or just typical Brian Kelly spin. They're promoting Joe Sloan and Cortez Hankin. We never heard of anything about Joe Sloan until Mike Denbrock is about to leave. And then all of a sudden, Oh, well, he was really the brains behind the operation anyway, Mm -hmm. which is not what we've heard from sources, but is Brian Kelly, right? That those guys can do the job. You don't have Jaden Daniels. I did like the D coordinator hire. If your offense can keep rolling, LSU could be in that conversation next year as well. Not top five, but being the consideration. Yeah. Uh, I personally don't think the offensive hires were good. I don't, but I did like the D coordinator hire. They certainly upgraded there. They actually got an actual college coach to coach the defense, which is great.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But you know, we're going to see how that how that goes. So those are some of the ones, Sean, that are on my radar to keep an eye on. Uh, you know, and a uh, last one that popped my head: Arizona. The head coach they hired the guy from San yeah. Jose. He hired yeah. Dino to run the off. Dino Babers to run the offense. Yeah, good hire. And Dwayne Aquina to run the defense.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Now Dwayne Aquina hasn't been a D coordinator very often, but he was considered a really good DB coach for a long time. Good recruiter at Texas. Dino was an excellent offensive mind. Yeah, early in his tenure. I mean, he was a really he was part of that Jeff uh, not Jeff Brom, but he was part of the uh, Art Briles staff at Baylor. He went to Eastern Illinois. Put up some monster numbers, I think he, had, he developed Jimmy Garoppolo, I believe, mm-hmm. right? Did a great job there, had some really good years at Syracuse. And as he got less and less involved in running the day to day, that was the big thing. Dino just wasn't a great head coach, right? You know, and just he, he just doesn't have that personality kind of to just really come down hard. And when and you know, and, and there was, a, I've been told by there's a lot of disorganization because Dino just wasn't that kick guys in the butt kind of guy, it's just a really nice guy. And and sometimes you can't be a nice guy as a head coach, Sean. You got to be a guy that's going to put your foot up people's you know what's. Otherwise, people take advantage of you. But now he's back to where he doesn't have to be the one to set that agenda. He just has to coach the offense, and that's where he made his bones was yeah. putting together really high uh, you know high octane explosive offenses together. Did it at Eastern Illinois. Did it at Bowling Green, and had some some success at times at Syracuse as well. So. That's two veteran coaches. I'm very I'm gonna keep my eye on that Arizona team and, and Dino's inheriting some pretty good football players. Yeah. At, at Arizona as well.
2: Yeah. So those yeah. are yeah. a couple that I have my eye on. Getting the quarterback and wide receiver to stay was huge. You mean you don't have uh, Aaron Henry and Barry Lunny Jr. No. Sorry, your, buddy. To what sorry, buddy? Do
1: not don't have your boys. I, I knew I assumed as I, I wonder how long it's gonna take Sean to bring that one up. <laughs>
2: You thought I was going to try and put them on the list, didn't you? No, no, I knew no. you would I knew you'd be, you I know your feelings can't, on them. You know, I can't yeah. stand Barry, Lonnie, Jr.
1: I know your feelings on them. Yeah, it's going to be. Now, now, Oklahoma had a, a pretty good efficiency defense last year, but I mm-hmm. want to see how they replace Jeff Levy now. So that's a big question mark for me. So anyway, Sean, mm-hmm. that's my list, man. Anybody that's missing, anybody that you got your eye on this year that we haven't already talked about? I think we kind of covered We're them all, pretty much right? covered everybody. Yeah so that's that's it so that was fun man we we did have a couple couple super chats we're going to get to here a couple questions we'll get to here in a minute sean but uh enjoyed that conversation obviously we're going to put this one up on the cfb nation app you can definitely check it out there uh so if you're not subscribed to the cfb nation app definitely do that we would greatly appreciate that uh and and everything we got going on there sean and i are going to start a lot more of these these rtcf segments we're going to end up putting on uh, uh, that we talk about college well, We're going to put on there. Sean and I are working on some shows we may start doing as we get through for spring ball and, and some other things that we're working on. So definitely check those out. The are that the CFP nation uh, podcast app, which you can find Spotify, all your favorite plot, uh, podcast platforms. We're not doing it really anything with the YouTube channel for I, CFP nation yet, But we eventually will get there. But right now, definitely the podcast part of it uh, on there. And, and of course, Sean, when it comes to Irish Breakdown, hit that like, hit that subscribe, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, and sign up for the message boards at (laughs) boards.irishbreakdown.com.